Today we're going to do some mind work. In the practice of meditation, we have to know what we're doing when we're sitting on the cushion. We have a method, we follow the method, but other than that, what are we doing? What do we want to accomplish? This is important if you're sitting there cross-legged that you should know what you're doing on that cushion and what exactly is it that's happening when you're sitting on the cushion. If you do not know this, then it's very difficult to make uh, progress in the practice. Oftentimes, we are confused and we believe that we are practicing when we're truly just simply trying to um, make the self a better citizen. We do this in a way in, in an ignorance that does not allow us to penetrate deeply. It's sure we can sit, we can be quiet, we can be mindful, but we are not able to tune into transcendent wisdom. We can obtain some wisdom and patience from sitting, but without a proper understanding of what is mine, then it's difficult for us to make true uh, headway. So there's two purposes for today that I'm going to uh, emphasize. One of them is the utilization of the proper method and that, that's going into breaking down components of the meditation practice so that you can uh, be mindful when you sit and uh, that these components are part of the practice. They're not part of the practice in the sense that one is always conscious of them, but one is aware that those components are present. And in the beginning, you actually have to remind yourself that they're present. Later on, it will become automatic. But in, in the beginning, you it's just like riding a bike. You have to remember, I have to pedal, I have to look forward, I have to keep the, the handlebar straight. Uh, I have to keep my balance. All of these things are part of riding a bike. After you start riding a bike, one doesn't think in that way. They just simply start pedaling and they're off and running. But in the beginning, we have to do that. And if these components are missing, one will not really ride the bike. One might think they're riding, but they will tend to, to crash very quickly simply because they, they are lacking the proper orientation as to what are the, the methods, uh, what goes into the method of practice. The second part is the part of investigating mind and being clear about what mind is. Today, you will not be able to truly fathom completely what mind is, but you will at least be able to understand the difference between mind and consciousness. Yesterday I uh, mentioned um, the saying, which is worth repeating, that sages return consciousness to mind, fools turn mind into consciousness. These terms are important 
because most of the time when we sit to meditate, we're just simply practicing consciousness. We're not really utilizing or tapping into mind. What is the difference? What arises in mind is consciousness. Where consciousness comes from is mind. What is transitory or impermanent is consciousness. What is permanent is mind. Mind is always there. The pictures in mind, phenomena, mental constructs, sensations, all that appears within mind under the category of consciousness. But it is not separate from mind, but should not be considered to be mind itself. And what happens is that when we sit to meditate, we are just simply working in consciousness. I want to be enlightened. I want my thoughts to stop. I want my legs not to hurt. I want, I want, I want, I want. And this type of an attitude of wanting all the time makes it difficult for us to really penetrate. But if the body just simply sits, and the mind becomes this wonderful mirror. I want it will show up. But it will show up under the guise of consciousness. To know the arising mind is the non-arising mind. You notice that they still call the arising mind mind. It's not separate from mind. But the non-arising mind is what we want to investigate. We want to place all of our awareness there. And this awareness is such that it's capable of knowing what is arising within it. Think about this a little bit. Try to con I should not say think about it as much as to contemplate. That the mind is aware of what is arising. So you're using this arising to reflect back to mind. But the mind is there. Anything arising, mind is aware of it. Not clinging to it, just aware of it. This is the basic premise on which we meditate. If you're meditating from the premise that you're going to stop your thoughts, you've been doing it wrong. You have to be aware that thoughts arise naturally in the mind. They arise through habitual energy that we've generated that bring up upon appearances. And in fact, generally, unless it's something contemporaneous, such as the airplane flying over, we experience thoughts as echoes of previous thoughts, of previous consciousness, and the echoes arise in the mind. And if we let them go, it's just like 
yelling your name in a canyon, the echoes will subside. Kilbert, 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 And they come up like that, Kilbert, 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 Whatever it is. Food, 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 food. Pain, 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 pain. Love, 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 love. All these different things, they come up and fall, come up and fall. If you allow the mind just to settle, it can be aware of this, but you make the mind like a mirror that does not uh, stick to anything. One master said, the danger is not that thoughts arise in the mind. The danger is in realizing too late that the thoughts have arisen. Too late because you've already started attaching to the thoughts. In this way then, it's difficult for you to practice. So we're going to go through the components of the practice and you'll see. And in this, I just wanted to read something very briefly. This book is called Zendan. This is from the very beginning of the Chan training. So you don't think I make this stuff up. But this is from the very, very beginning of the training. And it says, our Dharma is secret and silent. It is not transmitted by common fools of shallow consciousness. Only people rich in merit and virtue can receive it and carry it out. So here they're talking about fools. And what do we say the fools do? The fools turn mind into consciousness. They reverse it. And they see consciousness as being mind. But it is not in this way. When we talk about silent, it means that we return consciousness to mind. And when we return consciousness to mind, it's very serene and silent, very quiet. It's not attaching. Yet it functions perfectly. This is very difficult for us to understand that it functions perfectly. But it does do that. And the another saying was the Huayan Sutra, those the flower adornment sutra he's actually referring to the Huayans use. Phenomena do not see each other. Phenomena do not know each other. Phenomena do not see each other. Phenomena does not know each other. Mel is Mel because we call her Mel. Gilbert's Gilbert because we call it Gilbert. But in reality, there's no difference. This phenomena, the name is phenomena, the skin is phenomena. Even the consciousness within what Mel thinks is her mind and the consciousness in the skin bag is all phenomena. It does not know each other, but as sure as I can look into her eyes, I can see mine. And it can communicate in this way. It is why they talk about it being secret and silent. It's not obvious. And it is such that if one looks into it, one knows. And this is where there is this transmission 
without words that is a, a clear communication difficult for us to understand but the difference is between life and death if you want to practice consciousness you'll practice consciousness but one phenomena cannot know another the consciousness can never attain enlightenment could never because it's transitory even if it attained it it wouldn't have a pocket in which to put it in where am I going to put my attainment I don't have a pocket I had a body I need to have a body now I have a body I can put it in a pocket really can I I come out a hundred years from now would I be able to show it no just phenomena John is not escaping it's looking directly into mind to see from where things come from and when it sees in this way it's clear it's free to be able to sit quietly first of all is there any questions yet no questions we're going to work on the practice and in the practice, one of the most important things to start with is the relaxation of the body and the mind. Before we can really, really practice, we need to become very relaxed. Any moment when we sit, we should have a body that we're very mindful that the muscles are supple. And so, face the wall, please, and I'll take you through some guided meditation. We start off with a very relaxed body and you can start with a light at the top of your head and allow it to slowly pour through like a luminescent honey. You're mindful that your forehead is not tense, your eyes are not tense. Relax the eyes. Relax your jaw. The mouth is closed and the tongue lightly touching the forward roof of the mouth right before the teeth. Just lightly. The neck is relaxed. And you feel this luminescent honey pouring into your shoulders. Relaxing it. Your arms, elbows, forearms, wrists finger. Oh, relax. So it goes down the upper part of your back and relaxes all of your muscles, corrects your posture, goes into your lungs and relaxes your lungs so that your lungs can
take in more air. You don't control the breath, but you allow the lungs to relax so the breath becomes steadier. To your heart and you relax it, bringing it down some heartbeats, not requiring it to pump so hard to the middle of the back. your liver, spleen, gallbladder, stomach, all relax, not producing excess amount of acid, all functioning perfectly. To the lower part of your back, relaxing all of your lower muscles, your kidneys, you illuminate the kidneys with this light, and relax it. to your small intestines and large intestine, relaxing them so they function perfectly. To your urinary bladder, reproductive organs, your tailbone all relax, your hips, thighs, calf muscles, legs all relax, resting, the body encased in this beautiful luminescence, and your mind is very relaxed, just like you relax your body, relax your mind. So the two are superimposed. This relaxed body and relaxed mind. Mind and body together. Completely relaxed. Right now, just use relaxation as your method. With each breath, you relax more.
mind aware, aware of the relaxed body and the relaxed mind. And it just holds this body in this bowl of relaxation. breath is relaxed, and each time one exhales, tension is relieved from the body, bringing it to a more relaxed state. As the mind relaxes and the body relaxes, the body is seen just as a suggestion of a body. Only relaxation is experienced. with the bowl of mind that surrounds it. So they are not two. Mind passes through body. Body returns to mind.
just relax. Any extraneous thoughts arise? Just let them be absorbed in relaxation. Convert them immediately to relaxation. Just change them. the single thought, relax, is held by mind. Relax. Investigate and explore new levels of relaxation.
keep relaxing.
massage. Face the front again. How many of you uh, did pretty good with that method? Please raise your hand. Anybody have difficulty with the method? The first thing that we do when we meditate is we have to be relaxed. Now I think you find that your relaxation is a little bit better. Um, and when you sit to meditate, you should be ready to meditate and be re relaxed right from the moment you approach the cushion not when you get on the cushion but the moment you approach the cushion you're already being relaxed so when you're you're getting ready to to sit as you get ready to sit you're bringing yourself in very relaxed you're quiet you're relaxing Everything is done in a very calm way. You're maintaining this quietness. So as you sit, you're already in a relaxed state. You bring yourself more to relax. You get your body into the proper position. Your mind is relaxed. So that way it can pick up the method very quickly. When it's able to pick up the method quickly, then you have less of a chance to have a, a flooding in of thoughts that will take you off the method. How many of you, when you've sat to meditate right away, begin to go over the day's events? It happens right away. So you have to guard against that. You, you have to be ready every single time you meditate you follow this pattern, you're relaxed, you're there, you're aware that your method is there, and you pick up your method, not the day's events. Because we sit there for 10 minutes talking, thinking, what happened today, all these things. And then we've, it's difficult for us, we say, now it's time to meditate. Well, it's difficult because we've practiced going over the day's events, that habit energy continues on. Instead, we think of this moment as a very precious moment. Very, very precious. This is a chance I don't have to think. I don't have to have thoughts come up or chase after things or chase things away. I simply have to relax. I'm relaxed. I have my method. And in a moment we will learn another component of that which will help you guard against going over the day's events. So these are all components of the practice so that they enable you 
not to get into a position where you are are making bad habits right from the very beginning and perpetuating them. I want to read you a little bit more from Zendon. Again, this is from the very beginning um, of Zen. If you practice the six paramitas, expound the scriptures, sit in meditation, advance energetically practicing austerities, this is just called being good. It is not called the Dharma practice. If you do not irrigate the karmic field, if you do not water it with the water of desire, if you do not plant seeds of consciousness there, this is called the Dharma practice. So what he's referring to here is that all of these things of practicing the six paramitas, sitting in meditation, reading the scriptures, are good, but we have to put them into practice. The way we put them into practice is we realize that whatever we put into mind produces like-kind seeds. So if we're constantly fearful, we'll produce seeds of fear, which will, once we irrigate them, then they will, they will grow. And then we wonder why we're so fearful all the time. We put that there. But using right view, we understand that the illusory self is the cause of those types of crops growing in mind. And when we understand that, we don't plant those seeds there. That's the difference. The Dharma practice is what one plants, what one cultivates in terms of the practice and on what we do. And there's a difference between a contemplation and cogitation or thinking. In contemplation, when we sit in contemplation, we are not thinking. What we're doing is contemplating what is arising in mind. And there's a difference there. I'll read you just a little bit more. And he says, just now I spoke of pacifying the mind. In brief, there are four kinds of mentality. The first, the mentality that turns away from the truth. This is a mentality of those who go through life as ordinary people. So ordinary people just suffer, 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 and then they die. Second, the mentality that turns towards the truth. This means loathing birth and death and seeking nirvana, going towards stillness, this is called Shravaka mentality. And again, this is kind of interesting because this is early Chan and it's pointing back at Theravadins. And they only get up to the second level. Um, they're the ones that are trying to reach Nirvana. Not bad. So, that, so, but again, I'm putting this in a historical context so you understand what is being said. And third, the mind that enters truth. Though you cut off barriers to the path and reveal inner truth, subject and object are yet not yet nullified. This is a bodhisattva mentality. So in, if you're on the bodhisattva path and you're trying to cut off obstructions, you still have the idea of subject and object, then we're not really completely 
enlightened, but we're heading towards that way. We have a bodhisattva path. It's very interesting because in one of the first Mahayana uh, uh, Prajnaparamita Sutras, the Queen Shramala's Alliance War Sutra, they talked about that. And, and the difference between the third and the fourth level is what is referred to as nascent entrenchment. Nascent means that something that that's kind of comes with the with the package like when you buy a computer it already has some software in it and the software that comes with this body is this nascent entrenchment the idea of the identity of a self and it's very very deep because even as we begin to cut things off and we begin to use wisdom this nascent entrenchment says, I'm doing a very good job. I am getting close to enlightenment. But it can never get there because the I is still present. There's still the idea of subject and object. The difference between a bodhisattva and a maha bodhisattva is like a maha bodhisattva would be Manjusri or, or um, Avalokiteshvara Kuan Yin bodhisattva is that they have made a vow not to become enlightened until others are com are enlightened and they deliver them. This is no longer at the stage of nascent entrenchment. It's just the operation of the vow. But as bodhisattvas, as we begin to look at it, the difference is, is that we still cling to the idea of consciousness and consciousness, ego, personality, and life and being. Even if we... Tr we negate that and try to say we're not using it because it's so deep into us it's difficult for us to get that out and the only way we can do that is through the perfection of our practice in using transcendent wisdom to see that everything is mine so the way we begin to take that out is we return everything to mind and by doing this it enables us to make that uh, transcendent jump and wisdom the wisdom is still there the only difference is that it, this transcendent wisdom is now the wisdom of direct realization it has directly realized mine maybe it's only gotten a peak of it but at least it knows the difference it knows that that mine is much much greater than consciousness and one engages in the practice to constantly be returning to mind returning to mind returning to mind in this way that one's practice becomes clear so the fourth is the mind of truth not mind outside of truth not truth outside of mind truth is mind mind is able to be everywhere equal it is called so it is called truth truth's awareness is called illuminate everything so it is called mind mind and truth are everywhere equal so it is called the buddha mind the mind of enlightenment again this is just what we often refer to as the buddha nature but is the illumination is the illumination that enables one to see phenomena arising within mind. And in this contemplation 
of what is arising in mind illuminates it. So one is clear that it is not cogitation and that the cogitation is not the mind itself but is what sets mind into motion to produce subsequent thoughts and appearances. And we're clear about that and there's a difference. And when we sit to meditate, when we contemplate mind, it's different than trying to quiet consciousness. We cannot quiet consciousness, we simply have to contemplate mind. Are there any questions about this? Yes? I don't understand the difference between contemplate and think. Contemplate, and what was the last one? Think. And thinking? When you perceive the clap, there was sound. What came after that is thinking. That wasn't much of a clap, or that was a loud clap. I don't understand why he did that. That's all thinking. Contemplate is simply allowing the mind to reflect what is arising within it. And as one becomes more adept at that, mind in its own way will reveal, I, I hesitate to say teach, because that would be more like a dualistic way of looking at things, versus that when that sound happened, mind was capable of receiving it without any kind of an attachment to it. And then after that, then comes the attachment. And that attachment is what we perceive to be thought. The sound itself is nothing. What is the, the danger is not perceiving that there is a consciousness stream that is appearing within mind. For instance, if one was to say, um, I want to go on vacation. Well, I'll go to vacation to Jamaica. I like the water there. I like this and it's not too expensive and I will take this or I'll take this person but I won't take that person and I will take a cruise. No, I don't want to take a cruise because I'll get poisoned in the, there or the toilets might back up. I think I might go on, a, on and fly. That's a stream of consciousness and, and that, which is one thought producing another thought producing another kind of like a, a monkey grabbing one vine in, in the jungle grabbing another vine and another vine just keeps swinging and swinging, connecting in this way what we perceive to be thought. All that is is just appearances within mind. If the mind is in a contemplative mode, it can be aware of the stream of consciousness. Once it becomes aware of it, when the monkey goes to the next vine, there's no vine there. The monkey just falls straight back into mind, sinks back into mind. And this is contemplation. And then we realize there was never any monkey there to begin with. It was just a fabrication. Something that was just appearing in mind. And this contemplation is very, very important. Okay? Did that explain that? It helped a lot. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. We'll take our break. Go have, have uh, something to drink. Go to the restroom.